All right. I just wanted to say before we start the sermon today, I want to thank everybody for coming to uh, my 50th birthday party yesterday. I want to thank my son Sam for letting me steal his birthday since he stole mine 12 years ago when he was born a day after my birthday. So my party was actually on Sam's birthday. Um, and uh, we had a great time. Uh, and I just want to thank everybody coming and mark the passing of my youth. So uh, thank you for being. I want to thank my family, my wife. I don't know where she is. There she is. She's rubbing her eyes. We're all tired. Went to bed at 2 and got up at 6 this morning. So we had a nap, not a night's sleep. But uh, so glad to be here this morning. Thank you guys for uh, just coming to celebrate. I want to thank my family. A bunch of my cousins are here from all over the country. And uh, uh, I just appreciate you all being here today. So, take your Bibles and find, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to be all over the Word of God today. And I did put a lot of them on the screen, because it's just so much Scripture. How many have ever been in like a play, or a production, or a cantata, or something like that, marching band, I don't know, something like, before you do your performance, it always amazes me, like the Christmas, the kids just blow me away every year at Christmas, I don't know how they do it. They do such a good job, but the thing that just kind of, just is sad to me about it is that all of this work goes into one performance. Y'all know, anybody know what I'm talking about? It is so much work. And right before the performance, usually the day before, you have a special practice. And what's it called? There you go. The dress rehearsal, right? So you have the dress rehearsal. The dress rehearsal is you come up there and you do it like it's going to be done. It's not the real thing, but you practice it as though it was. Are you with me? I want to talk to you today, being Palm Sunday, I want to talk to you about shadow to substance. Your Bible, your copy of God's Word is split in two. There's the old and the what? New, and we call them testaments. Another word is covenants. There's the old covenant and the new covenant. And the old covenant is the shadow. Everything in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was a dress rehearsal for what was going to take place in the New. And I want to show you that. You will never look, hopefully, at some of the familiar historical events of the New Testament uh, that you learned in Sunday school as a kid, hopefully. You'll never look at them the same after today, if the Lord allows me to do what's on my heart. So let's begin there in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, as they'll come up on the screen, maybe. No? Okay, here we go. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, and look what he's to tell the children of Israel, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Okay? Now, when you think of a feast, what do you think of? Food. Isn't that right? All right. After my party yesterday, my wife took me and all the children, and we went to the new, used to be the smoking pig. What's it called now? It's called Eat Till You're Dead, I think. Um, What is it called? Old Country Time Buffet. I ate a whole farm last evening. It was sinful. I had to repent when 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 I literally rolled out of there. Uh. It was crazy. And when, when you think of a feast, is that not what you think of? Well, but I want to explain something to you that as we look at this word feast in, in, in the Hebrew, it's moed, and it literally means an appointment. 
It's the word moed, and it means an appointment, um, a fixed time, a season. And literally, it was used in its context, the appointment or the setting of the wedding date. Do you think it's important to know the date that you're getting married? Dusty, this is where you should say amen. <laughs> yes, you should know both the date and the time because it's right. That's what the word feast means. It's an appointed time. Uh, so it's not exactly what we think of. Genesis chapter 1 and 14 will come up on the screen. <coughs> and here's what it says. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. So those are the stars, the sun, moon, and the stars. But then look at this. Let them be for signs and seasons... And for days and what, church? And years. Okay? So we see this, and it's interesting. That word signs is oath in the Hebrew, and it literally means signal. So, so the different seasons, as, as, as uh, winter turns into spring, these things are set as signals for us that something's coming. That something has changed and something is coming. Now, as we understand this, um, we understand that this word here, this word convocation uh, that we saw in Leviticus is literally is mikra and it means a dress rehearsal. That's what we talked about a minute ago, right? So, so God's saying, look, I've got these appointed times and I've sent you the signal of when they're going to happen. And what these feasts are, these appointments, are, they're, they're holy dress rehearsals in the Old Testament. Because one day the real thing is going to happen. The shadow is going to turn into substance. Are you with me? Okay, so it's fascinating to me as we look at this that these feasts that the children of Israel, the Jews, celebrated, these holy rehearsals, were all pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And think about it, for 1,500 years, that's a long time. Um, for 1,500 years, the Jews were killing a Passover lamb on Nisan 14. Now, when you think of Nisan, think April. Roughly, they don't always line up, but, but roughly think April the 14th. Every year on Nisan 14, they killed the Passover lamb. 1,500 years later, after this was given in Leviticus, 1,500 years later, Jesus would die. Guess what date? Nisan 14. I'm sure that's a coincidence. Let me give you Leviticus 23 in the PDV. Uh, Leviticus 23, 1 and 2, it'll come up uh, in the PDV. Have, have you, do you all know of that translation? It's called the Paul Jettle version. You, all should, you really should have one of those. So, so I've translated these words for you. So here's what it says. Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them concerning the divinely appointed times of the Lord, which, shall, which you shall proclaim to be holy dress rehearsals. Even these are for my divinely set appointments. So here we have, this is what it looks like if you translate those words out in our culture today. These are divinely set appointments for the purpose of a holy dress rehearsal. The shadow of which one day the substance was going to come. And now we understand what this looks like. If, if we go ahead to Leviticus 23 verses 5 and 6, let's take a look at what that says. It says, on the 14th day of the first month, and by the way, just pause there, in, in a Jewish calendar, the first month is April or Nisan. So in the 14th day of the first month at twilight is what, church? Now notice it says, when, do, when does their day change? Twilight. Roughly 6 o'clock, whenever the sun sets. 
When does our day change? Midnight. That's real important to understand in the Jewish calendar and the Jewish customs. Uh, because if we don't understand that, some of this gets confusing. But when we understand that day, the next day, Nisan 14, starts at dusk of Nisan 13. So when the sun's going down, the new day is dawned. That's the Jewish custom and calendar. So notice that 14th day at twilight. Next verse. And on the 15th day, what day, church? The 15th day of the same month is the feast of what? Unleavened bread. So we got Passover on the 14th. Unleavened bread starts on the 15th. And in seven days, you must eat unleavened bread. So here's the second feast. Yeah, the first feast is Passover. Literally the next day at twilight, you have unleavened bread. And you eat that for how many days? Seven. Okay, just want to make sure you're with me. Um, and then interestingly enough, first fruits uh, took place on the Sabbath. The first Sabbath, which would be a Saturday, after, or the first day after the Sabbath. So you got Passover on Nisan 14. Unleavened bread starts the next day on the 15th. And whenever Saturday falls, the very next day, which is what? What comes after Saturday? Sunday. Sunday. That following Sunday begins what's called the Feast of First Fruits. And they call them the Trinity Feast or the Spring Feast because they all happen uh, with, literally within one week. So in one week we had these three major feasts, uh, if you understand. And then after that they, had, they counted 50 days and then they had Pentecost. That's what Pentecost, Pente means 50. They counted 50 days, and then, and then they had the Feast of First Fruits, which is important. Um, so interestingly enough, the Jews were the first Pentecostals. They've been celebrating Pentecost for thousands of years, long before we ever thought of that as a denomination. The Bible said it three times that the, the Jewish men were to present themselves before the Lord, and they were during these feast days. Um, Numbers chapter 9, verses 2 to 3 talks about these appointed seasons. Uh, it says, let the children of Israel keep a Passover at its what church? Appointed time. See, these are appointments. Um, On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time according to all of its rites. So on this 14th day of April, at twilight, when the day turns into the 14th, this is when Passover starts. So they've been doing this for a long time. And by the way, did you know, how many of you ever heard of this term, spring cleaning? Have you ever wondered where that came from? Did your mother ever do spring cleaning? Or your wife? Yeah. It scares me every spring because my wife starts looking at my closet. I'm like, stay out of there. That's the holy of holies. You don't, don't go in there. But spring, did you know spring cleaning came Literally, the, the roots, the beginning of spring cleaning is traced all the way back to Passover. It's a Jew, the Jews started it. Because here's what would happen. Um, as they got ready for Passover, <coughs> excuse me, they'd have to get all the leaven out of the house. At Exodus 12 and 15, I don't know if I put that up there. Why don't you put that up there? Here you go. Seven days you shall eat. What kind of bread, church? That means no yeast in it, flat bread. And, uh, oh, I thought I brought something in here. I had, a, I had a bag that I had gotten together. Where's one of my boys? Hey, go check in the office this way. Just keep that little blue bag with the cracker in it. Just go look. Look at the kitchen and the church office and see if I left something in 
All right, so here we go. You're going to have unleavened bread for seven days. And on the first day, what, is it, what are you going to remove from your house? All the leaven, all the yeast. How many of you ladies have a packet of yeast in your refrigerator? Okay, and now look at this. Oh, that's not a big deal. Oh, kind of a big deal. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be what? You're kicked out of the club. You are cut off from Israel. You are out. Is God serious about this? Yeah, he's very serious. And, of course, we understand, and maybe you don't know this, leavened yeast is a picture of sin. So the idea here, what God's saying is, hey, you're fixing to, to sacrifice the Passover lamb. But before you do that, let me tell you how serious this is. You go through your house, and you clean it out from top to bottom, and you make sure they're eating one grain of yeast anywhere inside that house. And so they would, that's where spring cleaning came from. So mom and the kids would get together, and they would clean that house out, top to bottom. And then they kind of had this little thing, that, this tradition that began. The mama would take a little bit of yeast, and she would hide it usually under the stove in the kitchen. So anyway, they would clean it all up, and, and mom and the kids would come to dad, and they'd and they say, okay, there's no leaven in the house. Come and check it. So here's what the daddy would do. The old Jewish daddy, he would take a candle. He would light a candle and all the little kids behind him, and they would search every corner of the house, making sure there's no leaven. And then he would come to the stove in the kitchen, and he'd get down on his knees, and he would shine that light under the stove. And what would he find? He would find a little pile of leaven, a little pile of yeast there. And so because leaven represents what, church? Sin. And, and, and sin was what we're getting rid of. Here's what he would do. One of the children would have a feather in his hand. Another child would have a wooden spoon. And yet another child would have a piece of linen, cloth. And here's what they did. Because sin is bad and sin is not to be among God's people. Uh, here's what this child would do. He would take this wooden spoon and put it down. And the father would sweep with that feather, that leaven, into that spoon. And, and no one would touch it. And then the other child would wrap it in this linen cloth. And then here's what they do. They would take it with everybody else in Israel in the camp. And outside of the camp, they would go outside the camp, and there was a big communal bonfire. And they would throw this wooden spoon with a leaven wrapped in linen cloth into the fire to be burned. That's a sign of judgment for sin. Now, I don't, I don't know that you had to be a scholar to put that all together. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? A light to my path. The candle is the word of God. The spirit is the feather. Isaiah 40, 31 talks about, about God uh, uh, being like uh, an eagle with feathers. So the spirit is represented by the feather. And then you have... You have this wooden spoon. And Deuteronomy 21 makes it clear that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So the wooden spoon represents the cross, the curse. And then you have this, this piece of linen that, that all of this was wrapped up into. And, of course, that, that linen uh, represents the, the strips of cloth that Jesus was wrapped in. Mark 15, 46 tells us that they brought these linen cloths and they wrapped his dead body in them. And then Hebrews 13, 13 says that we go outside the camp where Christ was crucified as a rejected judgment for our sin. 
Do you see all this picture happening? These are dress rehearsals for what actually happened in Jerusalem 1,500 years later. All of this. Now, as we, as we move further into this thing, here's what we find out. John chapter 2 will come up on the screen. John 2, 13 to 17. Now, notice what it says. It says, now the what? Passover of the Jews was what? At hand. So the, the Passover was getting ready to happen. It was, it was just right before the Passover, like the day before. So what did Jesus do? He goes to Jerusalem where the Passover has to be celebrated. By the way, he did that because all the men of Israel had to appear before the Lord for these three feast days. So Jesus kept every jot and tittle of the law. Don't miss that. Look at the next verse. He goes up to Jerusalem. And what does he find when he gets there? And he found in a temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Next slide. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And, and he poured out uh, the, the money, the changers of the money ta- and overturned the tables. Next verse. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written. Here's a prophecy from the Old Testament. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. You say, preacher, what's that got to do with anything? Everything. What was Jesus doing? He was helping his father get the leaven out of the house. Do you see it? And by the way, I've had some of you come to me and say, oh, we shouldn't sell stuff in church. That's not what that says. What Jesus was upset with is that they were stealing from people. They had, they had inflated, it was price gouging. Because they had these people over a barrel, so to speak. They had to buy these lamps. They had to change their money to temple currency. And they were getting ripped off. That was Jesus' problem with it. Those things had to happen. Jesus was upset about how they were happening. It was unjust. So what was Jesus doing? He was helping his father get the leaven out of the house. This is all shadow to substance. Now, this gets really interesting as you, understand, as you get a little bit further along in it. Um, and by the way, who are we? The Bible says that you and I, in 1 Peter 2 and 5, we're living or lively stones. We are literally the house of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that, that we are, uh, we are, our bodies are literally the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are commanded to get the sin out, to get the leaven out of our lives. Amen? And, and, and Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians 5, he said, hey, you are, you are unleavened. You are matzah, literally is what he says. You're... Sin has no business in you. Get the leaven out of your house. Get the leaven out of God's house. And your body is the house of God. And don't ever forget it. All right, let's, let's press on. I want to show you some more of this. Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 to 6. Um, here it is. Speak to all the congregation of Israel. This is going to start to make sense to you. On the 10th of this month, this month is Nisan. Okay, so it's talking about April. Now, notice the date. On what date of, of Nisan? The 10th. Passover starts on the 14th. Don't miss this. This is very important. Dress rehearsal. On the 10th of Nisan, here's what you do. Every man shall take himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Okay? And if the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbors next to his house take it according to the number uh, of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without what? Blemish. A male of the first year, one-year-old male with, with no blemishes. 
You can take it from the sheep or from the goats. Is that the last one? Okay. Check it out. Got to be a lamb. First year, it's got to be a boy. Has to be without blemish. They take it on a tent, and they're to take it in their house. And by the way, it was basically ten people to a lamb. So that's kind of how that worked. So you and your neighbor, if it was ten or less, you could do one lamb. And uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, would write that Jerusalem, who normally had a, in, in the first century, had a, 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 a population of roughly about 600,000, a little over half a million. But he wrote that during the feast times of Passover, and, and specifically right around this time when Jesus was crucified, um, that the population swelled to two and a half million. Can you imagine that? Going from 600,000 to two and a half million. And Josephus would, would write in his record that he, one year particularly, they slaughtered 250,000 lambs in the temple during Passover. I want you to think about that. 250,000 lambs. A lamb to ten people. That's what, that's what the population got to. Um, so we see that, that for four days they are to take the lamb and they're to test it. They're to make sure that it is without spot and without blemish. We see in the scripture in John 12, 1 through 2, um, that basically it was six days before Passover. Is that one up there? John 12, 1 It's six days before Passover. It was on the 8th of Nisan. And what had happened there in, in John 6 is that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And the, and the Jewish leaders didn't like it. So they plotted to kill Lazarus. Now, now I'll just stop for a minute and think how silly that is. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him. We're going to kill him. Jesus will raise him again. I mean, <laughs> they, but they couldn't stand the testimony that this Jewish, this carpenter, uh, out of Nazareth, did this, and people were pointing to him as a Messiah. They were messing with their plans. So they're going to kill, they were going to kill uh, Lazarus again. So they, but they had this great supper in Bethany. Uh, so the, remember, the day started at sunset. So you got the eighth going into the ninth. So they came to see Jesus and Lazarus. And the Bible says, and on the morrow, which would be the next day, that'd be the ninth going into the tenth. This is important to understand this, that, that, that these Pharisees and things came the Bible says to test Jesus and to see if they could catch him in his words. This is on the 10th of Nisan. And what they did is for four days, they tested Jesus. They tried to catch him. They brought false witnesses, and they couldn't make anything stick to him, and it drove him crazy. And it was the testing of the lamb. For four days, that Jewish daddy was to keep that lamb in their house like a pet. And they were to make sure that it was perfect. For four days, they tested the lamb. For four days, Jesus is tested by the Pharisees. The dress rehearsal and the real thing, the shadow, the substance. Do you see it? Now, here's what happens. Right on the 10th, something else happens. This is where, this is where the testing begins on the 10th because that happens to be what we call Palm Sunday. So, uh, so here's what's going down. I want to show you the, the, the shadow and the substance that's going on in Jerusalem right now. So on the 10th, Jesus is coming into, and we think of the temple, we think of a building like this, but it was, it was, it was, there was a massive courtyard around it. It was a whole complex. And there was four gates to the temple, the north, south, east, and west. The north gate was a sheep gate, and it was called that specifically because of what took place on Nisan 10, 
on the 10th of Nisan, four days before the Passover lamb was sacrificed inside that temple. Uh, here's what happened, is there would be a big parade. That's the only way I can describe it. It was like a big parade. And the high priest, I want you to picture this in your mind, because this is so different, so foreign from our going to church. The high priest would be walking through the north gate, the sheep gate, and he would have around his neck the one lamb that's been chosen to be the Passover lamb. But he would also have all the other lambs that would be sacrificed. So I want you to imagine this. He's coming through the high priest with all of his high priestly guard, this, this chosen lamb around his neck, and 250,000 lambs behind him all marching in to the, to the temple compound. Can you see it in your mind? And God, our, our God is such a control freak that he determined what day his son would die, and he even determined what songs would be sung at his funeral. They would sing the Hallel, which was Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and we, we, we quoted the last part of it this morning in our opening. And they would begin to say these words out of the Hallel in Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the crowds would gather like a giant parade. And they would sing this, the Hallel. Bless Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Every year for 1500, this was the, this was the tradition. This was the dress rehearsal. Here's a big problem. Jesus just so happens to show up at the temple compound at the same time, only he doesn't come in the north gate. He's over here at the eastern gate because he's just coming from Bethany from Lazarus' house. And remember, he's on the donkey. You remember this, the, 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 the young donkey? And what are the people doing? What do we see in the scriptures? They're taking these palm branches, and what are they doing? They're waving them, and they're laying them down. They're taking their outer cloak off and laying them down. And what are they singing? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the high priest is furious because what's happened is the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are supposed to be lined up for his parade have moved over from the north gate to the east gate. There's nobody in the north gate for the dress rehearsal. But in the east gate, here comes the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And everybody's at the east gate praising and doing the actual event when the rehearsal's going on with nobody there on the north gate. Is this starting to dawn on you what's happening here? This is amazing. God had pre-planned this throughout all of eternity. And the high priest were, was furious over the fact that nobody showed up at his parade. Because the, the true sacrifice lamb, the lamb of God, was coming through the eastern gate. At the same time, the people laid down their palms and their coats and they sang to him the dress rehearsals going on in the north gate but the substance is taking place right next door at the eastern gate and now is the inspection of the lamb for four days and we see that jesus passes this inspection in mark 7 they sent them to catch him at his words but no one found anything they could charge him with and even and, and, and even Luke ch writes in chapter 23 and verse 4 that Pilate, Pilate says, so, so Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, what? Say it with me. I find no fault in this man. The lamb was inspected and he was found to be blameless, without blemish, without sin. 
do you see that there is a shadow and the substance has arrived? This gets, this gets even deeper and greater as you start to press into what happens on that day of the 14th. Pilate made that proclamation on Nisan 14. And what happens is Jesus is then beaten, terribly beaten, to the point almost of death. But before that happens, we want to back up and see what does Jesus do right before these events. He has one last Passover with his disciples. Do you remember this? Anyone remember this in the scriptures? Pull that next screen there. This is the Passover. Here will be a picture of what the Passover plate looks like, I think. Yeah, there it is. That's a typical Passover plate for today. Um, you notice there's a, a lamb, sh- a shank bone there from a lamb. Uh, there's a salad called a, the hiroset, which is a, a salad made with apples and walnuts and raisins. It's sweet and kind of sticky. It's got honey in there. Then there's the bitter herbs and the egg. And all of this is significant, every bit of it. Um, and what, what happened is Jesus met with his disciples um, at, the, at the upper room, and they're having this last Passover together. And typically what happened is the, old, the youngest son would sit on the right hand of the father at the table. And the youngest child would ask a series of questions that the father would answer and rehearse the history of the Passover. The eldest son would sit on the left of the father in a place of great honor. It just so happens we know from reading this historical event that, of course, John sat on his right. The Bible says he even leaned his head on Jesus' chest. And Judas was on his left. Judas was the eldest and most trusted of all the disciples. So here they are. And so, you know, typically the, the questions are asked. The first question is, why, on, why is this night different from all other nights? And then the father would explain what happened at Passover. Another question, um, the second question they would ask was, why on all other nights do we eat leavened bread, but on this night only unleavened bread? Does anyone remember why that was, by the way, physically, why they had unleavened bread? Yeah, because God was going to save them so fast, there was no time for the bread to rise, and so they ate flat bread. Because when God saves, he saves quickly, immediately, and thoroughly. Amen? So this is what happened. So they would rehearse this, and the father would explain this to the children. He said, why is it on other nights we have all kind of herbs, but on this night we only have bitter herbs? And the father would explain the bitterness that took place as they were in captivity uh, in Egypt for those uh, 200 plus years. Or 400 years, excuse me, 400 years. And in captivity. And then the son would ask, why is it that on other nights we don't dip, but on this night we dip twice? And they would dip in salt water. And the salt water was to remind them of the tears, of the suffering and the sorrow of their time in bondage. The parsley also was to remind them of the hyssop branch they would use to dip in the blood of that lamb and paint the doorposts of the house. Um, so all this was remind. And then there's the egg. That egg came later. Uh, and interestingly, and that came much later, and uh, there's several reasons for it, supposedly, and, but the main one to the Jews today is that it, rem- it is to remind them of the destruction of the temple. Um, and that's why the egg is roasted as a sign of judgment. 
And anyone remember when the temple was destroyed? Anybody? 70 A.D.? Uh, what, about, what about the first temple? That was, what, what about the very first one, David, the Solomon's temple? That, that one was destroyed um, in 587 B.C. But here's what's interesting to me. And this is a side note, but I find it fascinating. In 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed on the 9th of Av, the month of Av, which would roughly equate to August for us. On the 9th of Av, that temple was destroyed. Interestingly enough, back in 587 B.C., the first temple was destroyed, you guessed it, on the 9th of Av. You know what happened on the 9th of Av? You can trace it back in the, in the, in the calendar and figure it out. The 9th of Av was the day that the 12 spies returned and 10 of them gave an evil report of God's promised land. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that in 1290, all the Jews were expelled from England on the 9th of Av? And that in 1492, Spain kicked all the Jews out of Spain on the 9th of Av? Did you know that World War I started on the 9th of Av? Hitler's proclamation to kill all of the Jews was given on the 9th of Av. And in 2005, in your history, all the Jews were expelled from Gaza on the 9th of Av. God's got a long memory. Shadow and substance. So this was all explained. And then came out the four cups. And we find the four cups... uh, Luke twenty two twenty says, and after the meal, Jesus took the cup. Uh, and at the beginning, he takes a cup. We know that there were four cups in the Jewish Passover. And I think I got a picture of that, do I not? Uh, there's four cups. And l- let me share the, the verses with you. The verse is actually written right up there. And it's in Exodus chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 7. And these, these tell us the four cups. And uh, the first one says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And that is called um, the cup of sanctification. That, that God's going to take them out from underneath the power of the Egyptians. But the problem is, they're still, they're still in slavery. They're, still, they're out from underneath the Egyptians, but they're still in chains, in the chains of Egypt. And by the way, isn't it the truth? We can get out from underneath the, the authority of the world, but so many of us are still chained to the addictions of the world. Right? And so the second one, um, the second cup that was brought out later on in the meal is the cup of deliverance, and it breaks the chains of bondage. And it says right there, I will rescue you from your slavery. God says, I'm not just going to call you out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the chains off of you. I'm not going to take you away from the Egyptians. I'm going to take the chains off of you that the world put on you. And then the third one is called the cup of redemption. Everybody say redemption. Redemption means to buy back. And it says there, I will redeem you. And how is he going to redeem us? Um, with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. Now, this is interesting. Guess what cup we use in communion? Guess what cup Jesus brought out that is mentioned in the, that's the one that he says, this is, this is my blood. Guess what cup? The third cup. It's the cup of redemption. Check it out. I will redeem you means to buy back with a what? Outstretched arm. 
Anyone remember an outstretched arm? And then he says this, with a mighty axe of judgment. Jesus endured judgment with an outstretched arm, and thereby you and I were redeemed, and that's the cup that we remember. Isn't that amazing? And then the fourth one, actually, well, at this point, this is let me tell you what's happening in the, in, the, in the Passover in a Jewish home at this point. At the first cup, the Jewish daddy, I really wish I had that bag. I know I brought it in here. Uh, there was a little blue bag, and it had, anyway, that's too bad. I have a matzotosh bag, and, and uh, it's a bag with three compartments in it. And in each compartment, you would place this large piece of, of matzah, which is unleavened bread, and it's got stripes in it, it's got lines in it, and it's got holes in it. It's striped and pierced. Does that sound familiar? He was pierced through for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. And the Jews have been practicing this for thousands of years. So they take three of these pieces of bread in each compartment. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking Father, Son, and what? Holy Spirit. <laughs> this is their tradition, not ours. At the first cup of sanctification, the, the Jewish daddy would reach in and take the middle matzah, and he would break it. Father, what? Son, and he would break it. You can't make this stuff up. And he would put it in a special linen bag called the afikoman. And he would hide it away until the third cup. And at the third cup, the children are released to find it. It's like hide and seek in the house. And we celebrate. Occasionally, we'll do Passover at our house. It's a blast. Kids love this. So they go searching through the house to find the afikoman to bring him out. To, literally, they would say to resurrect the afikoman. This is what they, whoever resurrected the afikoman was to bring it to the father and get this. And the father was to redeem it. He would pay it for it, with, usually with candy. And the Jewish families had a tradition of using chocolate wrapped in silver looking like silver coins. Anybody making connections here? So they would bring it, the, the child would bring it to the father, the afikoman, and he would, he would give it to him, and daddy would redeem it, would buy it back from that child. I thought, that is so cool. I wonder what afikoman means, and I looked it up. You're not gonna, I can't make this stuff up. Do you know what afikoman means? It means he who came and is coming again. <laughs> Can you believe this? There is the shadow and the substance. God is all over this thing. And he is taken and hidden away until the third cup, three days, and he's redeemed by the Father. And he who came is coming again. You, can't, you just can't make this stuff up. And the fourth cup, this is beautiful. The fourth cup is a cup of acceptance. And look what it says I will take you as my own people, and I will be your. Oh, but listen to me, people. That cannot happen. That fourth cup is illegal until the first three have happened. There can be no acceptance until we have been redeemed with an outstretched arm and a mighty act of judgment. We must, we must see what is happening here. Well, let me break it down for you as this thing unfolded. In Mark 15, 21, the Bible gives us two a period of time, it says it was the third hour. 
Um, is that up there, Ellie? You might have to look ahead because I know I had those. There you go. Now check this out. Now it was the third hour. What did they do on the third hour? Check this out on Nissan 14. This is Nissan 14, third hour. Third hour is roughly <coughs> equates to, for in our purposes, nine in the morning. So at nine in the morning, what's the Bible say they did to Jesus? They crucified him. 9 a.m. That's the morning sacrifice. It's also, yes, yeah, also the time of the morning sacrifice. And in the Hallel, in Psalm 118, it says in there, it says, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Is there a picture of that, El? I, I had gotten a picture. I guess I didn't put it up there. The altar was huge. It was, it was probably as big as this platform in a, in a square. And, and it was made of bronze. And on, on all four corners, north, south, east, and west, were literally horns. And horns always represented power. And so at the ninth hour, or at the, at the third hour, nine in the morning, here's what, here's what happened. Jesus is outside the city on Golgotha, and he, he is literally being fastened to the cross. And the cross is the altar upon which the Son of God will, will be judged for our sin. Are you with me? At the very, that's the substance. The very same time, less than a mile from where Jesus is being crucified... In a temple courtyard, the priest is tying the lamb to the horn of the altar and getting ready to sacrifice him. So as the lamb is being fastened to the altar in the city, the lamb of God is being fastened to the cross outside the city. Shadow and substance. And then the Bible goes on to say, can you pull that next slide up? Is that the last one? Whatever's next in line. All right, so here's what happens. A little bit later, the third hour, and this is interesting because the third hour is also an hour, of, or the ninth hour is also an hour of prayer and sacrifice. And so it's the ninth hour, and Jesus had received the sour wine, and what did he say? It is finished. He cries out, it is finished finished and this was right at the time of the evening sacrifice isn't this interesting at the time of the morning sacrifice he's fastened to the cross the lamb is fastened to the horn of the altar still alive he's just tied there like a leash at the end at the evening sacrifice time at 3 p.m that's when the actual sacrifice takes place so here's what's happening jesus has literally died on the cross outside the city Less than a mile inside the gates, at that very moment, the lamb's throat is cut and it is thrown onto this burning altar. You can't make this stuff up. According to the Jewish historians, the high priest would then raise his hands and say, It is finished. So as the Son of God is saying it is finished with the substance outside of Jerusalem, inside the shadow is taking place, and the high priest says it is finished. It gets better. As soon as the high priest says it is finished, a messenger is sent from the corner of the altar, and he runs into the inside of the temple. Remember, how many lambs have been sacrificed? 250,000. Now, I don't mean to be gross, but do you know how much blood that is? It's a lot. And the temple was designed in such a way that there was a holding tank and a series of, of, 
of troughs or gutters, if you will. Because that stuff had to be, it was all, the blood was all contained in a massive tank or pool underneath the inner area where it was brought to be sacrificed for each family, for each of 10 people. 250,000, we're talking a lot of blood, right? The messenger is sent to run inside and say to the priest on the inside, it is finished. He's carrying the message of the high priest. And you know what they would do? They would release, they had these uh, huge tanks of water. They would open the floodgate. They would pour these tanks of water in and literally at the right, out of the left side of the temple, thousands upon thousands of gallons of blood and water flowed out of the temple into the Kidron Valley. And at the same time, the Bible says, when Jesus makes this proclamation, it is finished. The Roman centurion looks up and sees that he's dead. And to make sure, he thrusts a spear into his left side. And the Bible says, not my words, God's word, blood and water flowed. So inside the city at the temple, thousands of gallons of blood and water are flowing out of the temple into the Kidron Valley. By the way, that's the Valley of Judgment. Isn't that interesting? And just outside the gates, the Lamb of God, from a spear in his side, blood and water is flowing. Substance and shadow. You say, okay, what's that got to do with anything? Everything. I've walked you through today the shadow and the substance. How do you apply that? Here's how you apply it very, very simply. Please hear me. I don't care who you are today. I don't care where you grew up or what you think you know about God. What you think you know about his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the truth of the matter. God has planned this thing from before the foundation of the earth. Nobody could change it. What I have shared with you today is irrefutable evidence that Jesus is the son of God. And that if it unfolded the way it was supposed to so perfectly and miraculously up to that point, do you think the rest of it might unfold the way God has said in his word? And if all of that was done so precisely, so specifically, so accurately, and it was done that you might have a way to stand before a holy God and, and, and claim the judgment for your sin given to Jesus instead of paying for it for yourself, do you think that's something you might need to pay attention to? Do you think God's playing? Do you think he's talking just to talk? No. God fulfills his promises. We saw the shadow and it all pointed to the substance. I want to say one more thing. The very people to whom God gave all of this information, the vast majority rejected that incredible truth because they were so wrapped up in their tradition. They were so wrapped up in their history that they missed God. And I'm telling every single one of you today, listen to me, do not miss God because you're wrapped up in what you think you know about Him. Don't do it. He died in your place. You, didn't, you were not born a Christian. You were born an enemy. Jesus died in your place. And you must do something about that. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. We're going to sing one song. And then